Welcome to episode 42 of the Rex Chapman Show with my super dope homeboy from the L-Town, Josh Hopkins. We're in Lexington, Kentucky together. Yeah, how about that? You, Good to see you, pal. Yeah, so this is nice. Uh-huh. Uh, what's going on, man? Well, this is episode 42. 42. What, what, do we, what uh, do we got there? There's some really famous 42. 42s. James Worthy comes right to mind. Mm-hmm. Who mm-hmm. else for you? Well, honestly, the first person usually that comes to mind is Richard the Master Blaster Madison. <laughs> I always think. My former teammate, yeah. Richard Madison, yep. 42. Yep. I always yep. think about him. Yep. Ronnie Lott. Ronnie Lott. Mm-hmm. One of the go. toughest men in the world. Jackie Robinson. The, the ultimate 42. Yeah, so, Elton yeah. Brand. Elton Brand. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You read anything? Oh, but should we do our we segment on book our club. book club? Yeah. Yeah. To enlighten our, our listeners, uh, we do a little segment called Book Club. Talk about things we've uh, read this week. I uh, actually didn't read anything this week. Nothing. So I don't have anything for Book Club. I um, I actually, I didn't read anything either. Oh, okay. That's been Book Club. Uh, I got a question yeah. to see what you think about the other night, the uh, Chris Paul incident oh. with the fans that maybe put hands or talked uh-huh. or to to his family behind the bench there. Uh, you have any thoughts of that? Yeah, you- I was at game three in Dallas and I was sitting right behind Chris's mom and dad. Um, so I know how the setup is. The, the seats are not directly behind the bench but there are three rows behind mm-hmm, the bench mm-hmm. and um and then i was a couple rows behind that so i would have had a bird's eye view of it i haven't seen any video to know what mm-hmm, happened mm-hmm. uh i think the most telling thing is that the mavs have come out with a statement saying that they're aware of the situation that it that it will not be tolerated so obviously something happened yeah well i've the only video i've seen is chris Paul uh, yeah really angry saying i'll see you again yeah i'll see you like he was you don't see him lose it like that i mean he yeah, you was don't really see most, angry. yeah you don't see most guys you know and really engage too much because look people are at at the game um a lot of them drinking mm-hmm. and you know, they're off from work. You know, you're going to hear a certain amount of stuff. Yeah. Do you ever have somebody go oh, too far with you? Where yeah. you talk, where you said. Oh, yeah. But And normally, if you just give a look, right. you know. Right. And now, then there are other times where you've got security behind the bench. And if somebody's doing something too much, you just tap the security guy and say, hey, come on. What's up? Do you remember one specific time that was worse than that? Like somebody that was no, I, I really just can't. several yeah, over but the line, I mean, but not I mean, way over. Well, the you get the popcorn thrown, you get people the spitters, they're Ooh, spitters that you can't really identify. Mm-hmm. You look back mm-hmm. and like what mm-hmm. yeah. Just Jeez. but you you always have to remember, uh just like you know, when I go to a boxing match or something. Mm-hmm. It's entertainment for me. I'm there to have a good time, yeah. yell yeah. a little bit, you know. Yeah. You know, so as a player, you know that some of that stuff is that just goes with it. Yeah. And some of it makes you play better. Right. I mean, so right. You, you, you embrace some of it. Well, let's talk playoffs real yeah. quick. Um, everybody thought your sons, yeah, and and the the heat were they were up two and oh cruising, yeah. and now they've gone back and it's two two. Why have they <laughs> Well, Dallas did what they were supposed to do. Yeah. They they held serve. Now it's a three-game series, two of them in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. you got to like those odds. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how you have to 
Bennett when you dropped two games in in Dallas. Uh, And I can say this, I saw the last game in Phoenix and Phoenix looked dominant. Like, Mm -hmm. like this is a five game series. It's not go to Dallas, went to Dallas, saw game three. And it was like Dallas was the best team and dominant and all of that. So, you know, obviously the teams are not that far apart. Mm -hmm. Um, Phoenix, you know, being the lower seed, the number one seed, the yeah. pressure's on on Phoenix at this point, just like it. Same yeah. situation in Miami. The only difference is, though, that <laughs> Miami won two games with Embiid out. Right. And yeah. now he's back. Yeah. They've won two yeah. games, and yeah. now they're getting Joel Embiid back down in Miami. That's a series to, to keep going. How about our guy, Maxi? Love it. I mean – I think from the first time, you know, I would go over and watch those guys and so maybe a little bit before you got to. And I remember you guys asking me about him and and like when you watch him, he's smaller than you think. Mm -hmm. Um, But the first thing that I think I said to you guys, he just can slip it in the basket. And that's what he does. He just find he's bouncier than you think. He plays with so much joy. Yeah, and that is a fun. smile. Mm-hmm. Fun um, to watch. Fun to watch. Uh, so thrilled for for Tyrese Maxey. Um, what else? Who else we got? The Bucks Sixers, or no? Who? No, no, no. The Heat Sixers. Heat Sixers, uh, and then we got Bucks and Memphis. Celtics. Oh, Celtics, Celtics. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and what do you think about that? Um, I'm kind of pulling for the Celtics. I'd yeah. like to see that. Oh, yeah, I'd like to see them advance. Um, Milwaukee's just boring to me. They're yeah. just boring. Best player in the world. Yeah, yeah, just boring. Oh, what do we think about uh, the MVP was handed out? This was something I wanted to ask you. Yeah, or, or Joker got it. And the Joker's numbers are amazing. They're it's almost almost just like Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. Uh, more assists, obviously, for mm-hmm. Joker. Higher rebounding. I just don't get it. I, 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 I get it. I'm I Joker's deserving. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. It just used to be different where it it was dependent somewhat on how well the team did. Oh, I know that. And yeah, you know that that's really why I think Charles, you know, Charles was never right. really considered right. until he got on a team, the Phoenix Suns, that went to the finals. Right. And almost won it all. I mean, I guess, you know, Embiid's still playing. Devin Booker's still playing. Uh, some of these guys on the best teams, mm-hmm. um, I just think are, I don't know. How, like, it's kind of like the Lakers sucked so bad, but, you know, LeBron had such a great year yeah. for them. You never heard him even yeah. really consider, yeah. you know, because they were so bad. But, I mean – how bad is the fall off have to be that you don't consider the best player on that team to be deserving of MVP? Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, at, at Denver, they got to the first round without Murray. Mm-hmm. That's what they were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. cause you, you've got the MVP on your team. Yeah. So yeah. they did what they were supposed to do. I get it. You, It's tough. And I love the Joker. I'm not hating on the Joker. Here's a question for you. Yeah. And we'll try and get to our guests. And mm-hmm. I'm really excited to get to, um, but uh, one year you get this player for one year and you don't have no injuries to mm-hmm. worry about. They're both of them are fresh the entire yep. year. Do you take the Joker or Embiid? I take Joker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why? 
I, I am enamored with the Joker's ability to catch the ball at the high post and dime people up mm-hmm. all over the court. Right. Um, you give up something defensively, of course, um, but I just feel like Joker's uh, is his vision and yeah, his ability yeah. to just spoon feed every, all four other guys on his team. I think that's unique. Uh, and he's, you know, he's just a load, yeah. you know, and he's, he's better and bigger and faster than you think he is. Right. Obviously, right, right. right. Yeah. There's no wrong answer there. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's get to our guest, Josh. I'm pumped about this. We've got a guy today who's a stand-up comic um, and who's very open about his struggles with mental illness and depression. Mm-hmm. So let's get right to Gary Goldman, who's also a huge basketball fan. What's up, Gary? Gary. Gary Lewis Goldman. There you go. I don't want to make you uncomfortable, Rex, but I, I've been a fan of yours since I read about you in Street and Smith's probably in 84, five. That was that was the extent of high school basketball scouting. When when you were coming up, yeah. Street and Smith. So, yeah, you and the and the McDonald's All American game was was played and and just nobody watched it. But yeah, we we all wanted to be Michael Jordan, but the closest we could really get was maybe Rex Chapman. So, so you you were just such an inspiration to us, and we and we love those those Kentucky Nikes. Yeah, man. Thanks. I, I'll take that compliment. Um, no, I, it's funny you mentioned Street and Smith because it really was. That was the only way you knew anything. And I remember, I want to say I was probably a sophomore in high school and I got like honorable mention, right. you know, in, in one of the regions or something like that. And I thought, oh my God, I've really made it. I've really made it now. <laughs> Absolutely. But it was, it was in uh, Six Point Helvetica. Yeah. <laughs> and- and newspaper print, yeah. But let me let me tell you something. The boys were jealous. <laughs> uh, how you doing? You doing all right these days? Yes, I I I couldn't be happier. I I I always feared that my fifties would be a nightmare, and because my forties were so bad, and I I thought it could only get worse. But then I I got my. I got my brain healthy and I'll, I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter when you get healthy, you are grateful and you enjoy it. So it's, it's, it's really something. And I, and I just, before, before we get into my mental health, I, I want to say how important it is for male athletes, especially to be open about these things, because for so long there was Terry Bradshaw and every once in a while you'd, you'd hear about a, a celebrity opening up about their mental health but there's this thing where you think if i can just get successful enough in sports i'll feel good about myself and then you find out that four-time super bowl winner terry bradshaw is unhappy and you say oh i better do something different than (laughs) just try to get better at at throwing a ball around josh and i were just talking about that you know and i want to get into your growing up and all that but we were just saying you know and, and it the mental health thing, I, I can just remember, I gave him an example earlier of being, you know, young and playing in the NBA and, and you know, having enough money to do whatever I wanted, but really thinking, oh, you know what, if I get that Porsche, 
<laughs> that's really going to be the thing that makes me feel content. And I, it took years and years and years to realize that, yeah, I felt good for two days. It was fine. And then all my shit again. So yeah. I, I can completely understand. So growing up, you grew up in, in Massachusetts. Yes. Yes. Peabody, which was right next to Salem, Massachusetts, where the witch trials. Right. Took place. That's, right. that's what everybody knows. And yeah, I mean, I, I felt lousy about myself, but the, the way we were taught growing up was that, yes, only rich people are happy. So yeah. <laughs> do your best to get rich and then you'll be okay. And then, like you said, growing up, I, I just strived. And, and so I, I, I was a basketball player. And then my, my, my basketball recruiting was limited to Division II and Division three schools. I went out for football my senior year. And I was just bigger and, and faster than everybody. So I got a scholarship to Boston College and as a, as a tight end. And I thought, okay, now I'll be happy. And it just, it was a crucible, right? Yeah. Where everything, all of a sudden I'm playing against people, my size, my athletic ability, and I'm overwhelmed mentally. And luckily Boston College had a, a, a really good program as far as, it was called learning resources for student athletes. And it was, it was kind of a, a, a program that was unique to Boston college, or at least it wasn't common amongst athletic departments to have that. So I, I went to the guy who was mostly in charge of, of setting up tutors and, and getting you retests. And I said, there's this thing I'm feeling where I want to jump off the highest building on campus and and he said, I want you to go talk to this man. And I, I started going to therapy once a week. In the 80s. In the 80s, wow. I would sneak in and out because yeah. I didn't want a teammate or a classmate to see me coming out of the counseling services. I was so embarrassed. And I, I really believed up until recently that people would see me as weak and and not manly. And the exact opposite thing happened when I opened up about it. It's it's almost dr dramatic how how people have embraced me and and opened up to me, and it, and it's 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 so gratifying. I mean, you know that I do. I, it really is. It, it it well, it just helps you get through. You know, when people that you don't know come up to you and tell you something that you know you you know that you're sharing it has at least helped a little bit, right? Yes. Yes. And in the, and in the eighties, it's so, it's so interesting because you're just the, you're the ideal vessel for this Rex because people look at you and say, he's handsome. He's well <laughs> off. He's got great taste in specs. <laughs> and how, how does this man struggle to get out of bed? Yeah. And it makes it human. And it, and it tells you that the answer is not, physical yeah. it's 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 mental and and it and it's and it's so helpful i just want to jump in and say to people listening that don't understand why we have a, a great comedian and a great basketball player on him we're talking about depression and mental <laughs> health a lot of people might not understand how we jump right into this but it is the two things i'm most experienced with <laughs> yeah yeah but we've talked obviously basketball centric but I'd say the second biggest topic we oh, talked yeah. about is mental health on the show. We uh, 
both have struggled our entire lives and freely admit it on the show and talk about it. Um, Gary has a special a couple of years old it, called the great depression on it was on HBO. It's on HBO max. Now you can watch it. Timely but, that you predicted right when the pandemic was going to start to release the, <laughs> the doc yeah, or the, the, the show. He, great timing. So it's a great, it's, if you've ever struggled at all, it's a must watch. It really spoke to me, Gary. And he explains his, his unique depression, how he dealt with it. And it's a very serious subject, but he does it in, yeah. in a funny, light way. And at times, not light, but really uh, sheds a light and, and onto depression and mental health in a way that I've never seen it presented before. And I want to thank you for that. Oh, that's that's so nice to hear. I, I mean, the the thing that was really helpful with that with that special was that we we had um, my director, Mike Bonfiglio, is a documentarian. He did the 30 for 30s on Doc and Daryl. And he also did uh, You Don't Know Bo and the uh, Gary Shanley documentary. So he had a, a lot of a lot of experience with comedy, sports and documentary. He, he's just he's brilliant and humble and a, and a really great friend. But we were able to weave in some heavy things and then go back to a, a comedy concert. And so it, it lightened the mood. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say I hear it's two years old now. I hear every day from somebody who said it helped me to share my feelings with my family. It helped them to understand. It made me feel less alone. And that's that's all I ever, ever hoped for, even in my live shows when I started to talking about it, mainly because I had to. It was so obvious something was off about me that I had to I had to talk about it. And also I felt and, and you probably feel this way, too, when you when you share these things and help people, it sort of give some some meaning to why you went through this awful shit that that you were able to to help people out it's it's i mean I'm, this this is exaggeration and hyperbole but it's kind of like the odyssey where he goes and faces all these monsters and he brings back the elixir so i i feel in a, in a way on a on a, a much smaller less grandiose mythic scale i'm i'm, I'm we're doing that well you have thank you yeah thank you no question i mean it, and I, I wonder with you, because I know personally when I go and I'll, I'll speak to a group and normally I most everything that I talk about is kind of self-deprecating. Right. And and to just kind of, you know, bond with the audience. For me, though, like even though you go and you speak and you talk, it never at the end of the night, it never doesn't suck. Like, like it, it, it still hurts. Like you're talking about it and yes, you've gotten some things out, but talking about yourself in that way and it's, it never doesn't suck. Like I'll read an article about me and at some point it's going to talk about some really, you know, crappy shit and that never doesn't suck no matter how flattering the article might be or otherwise. Right. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of this, this scar that, <laughs> that heals and, and it's, it's still there, but I, I, I mean, I, I think it does get easier. It does, it does melt a, li a little bit. I mean, I, I, one thing that was really helpful in, in regards to, to speaking about it, because initially you think, well, who wants to hear this? And 
what really is it going to do? And I, I remember watching a, a interviews and, and a documentary about, about Chris Heron, whose older mm. brother, was actually in, he was actually in my freshman class at, at Boston College. His older brother, Mike, was a, was a basketball star. Anyhow, I, I've, I've known about the kid since he was in eighth or ninth grade. He was sort of the Damon Bailey of, of Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, if I can just help one person, it's, it's worth leaving the house. And, and in, invariably, you help one person. And, and I mean, as a comedian, you think, if I can make one person laugh, I'm awful. I mean, <laughs> when you think about saving a life or making a life that's difficult easier, it is definitely worth it to leave the house to to help one person. And and it's still painful and it hurts. But but it's just I mean, I'm a, I'm a Jewish man. And we have this saying that that uh, if you save one person, you save the world and you're not really saving the world, but you're saving a world, which is that person's mm -hmm world and it and it's it's really it's it's worth the it's it's worth putting putting on the shoes and and getting out there so i'm i'm yeah i, I but i totally know what you mean some of these things that it it just you kind of have to relive a, a capsule of right. it from time to time but the other thing with that reliving the capsule is i find it helps me to remain vigilant about about the things I've had to do to, to get back and get my, my life back in, in order. So I, I, I don't want to exercise today. I want to sleep. And I think it gets really bad from time to time that this, what the, what the stakes really are. Yeah. You know, um, the uh, one, the reason it spoke to me so much is because we all have our, if you, if you've experienced depression and, and battle it, they're they're all different to each person in in certain ways, but ours is so similar to what you described as this yeah. debilitating, can't get out of bed, feel self worth out the window, don't understand, just get up, just go, and and you can't, and and the weight of it, what you talk about, you know, uh, even doctors now will say it, it starts in childhood or can. And it, it did for me, but I didn't know what the hell it was. I thought, man, I am the laziest kid yes. in the world. Yeah. And when did you realize what you were dealing with was depression? I can, I can point to the symptoms at, at seven years old and say no seven-year-old should feel he has to do these, these great things. Oh in order to feel good about himself, get, get great grades and be the best athlete and, and please everyone. And, and, and I remember thinking I would see people and think, well, if I was just a, a person who wasn't a, a star of whatever I did, how do these people face it and, and go on? And, and it, it just, it's just such warped thinking and I didn't have a name for it. I just thought, well, that's, I really believed you get rich, you get happy. And, yeah. and, and unfortunately that's kind of what our, our society is telling us all the, all the time. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a major component of capitalism to keep people working really hard long after they have the money they, they need. And, and it, you don't need millions and millions of dollars to feel like a worthwhile person 
but there there are all kinds of of ad campaigns and promotions that make you feel that you need you need the Porsche, you need the Land Rover, and and it just and but it doesn't explain what to do when you feel empty with all of that. So it wasn't until 18 when I went to that therapist and within five, I'm not exaggerating, within five minutes of talking to me, he was able to diagnose me with a major depressive disorder. (laughs) Right. We we didn't have the, the, the sort of there, there are those, I I've done this for, for friends because I, I, there's so much overlap with, with addiction and the 12 step programs and, and therapy. So with the, with the addiction, I asked my friends questions. Do you find yourself unable to have just one drink? Do you find yourself using it to forget about your problems? And there are questions you can ask about somebody who's depressed and you'll get these. And, and it was two or three questions and he was able to diagnose me, but because there wasn't as much awareness. There weren't as many people speaking out about it. I had I had no idea, and I, I will say it didn't cure everything. But it was a tremendous relief to understand that this wasn't me. This was an illness, and not a character flaw. I wasn't lazy. I'm not a lazy person. It's just so much harder to walk down the street with this illness than than when when you've recovered from it and and when you when you have it behind you i've told this story to josh before um but i was at kentucky i was a freshman at kentucky and i'm i think back you know from the outside looking in i'm sure you know and you know they were making me to be this kid that liked to go to class and taking all the all American photos and all of that stuff all, all over campus and everything. And I felt like the biggest fraud, right? Like I, I, cause, because I knew what my self-worth felt like. I didn't know how to articulate any of it, but was there. And I'd been, you know, we're probably seven or eight games into the season and uh, woke up one morning and I couldn't, I had my hands like this on my chest and I, I woke up, I told my roommate, Reggie, I said, Reg, I, feel like I need to go to the hospital. And, and he said, what? I said, I just like, I said, go get the coaches. And he went to get the coaches. A couple of them came back and I, and they put me in the car to like take me to the hospital. And apparently somehow during that time, uh, they decided, yeah, better not take him to the hospital because people will ask questions. So I ended up going to like a friend of the program's house uh and for two days i was out there they brought my girlfriend out there and i hung out there this is the middle of the season i missed a practice and then i woke up a couple days later i'm sure it was a panic attack i'm sure it was um, and it was a i think i've just all of a sudden felt what you were talking about i was like you know if i only get a scholarship and i if i only go and i and i was doing thing i thought would you know make me happy and I think it just came crashing down. And unfortunately, you know, I never got any sort of help like that until I was almost 30. That's hard. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. The the interesting thing, the, the best metaphor I've heard for it is for people like us, our self-esteem is this bucket with a hole in it. And we keep filling it with these things and it leaks out. And we're like, I but I had a really great game. And <laughs> I feel as as 
um, incompetent and inept going into the next game because that's the only game that counts. And I felt that way in sports. I felt that way in, in comedy. I would have a big show. I would do great. And then I'd be anxious and panicking before the next show, crying, trying to get out of it. And then I'd have a great show and I'd say, what was that all about? And it would start all over again the, the next morning. I, I mean, I, I remember when I got to Boston College, they do these things where they have you jump, they have you run, and they have you bench press. And I was first or second amongst the entire tight end roster. And and one of the players was an All-American, this guy, Mark Tremura, who played at, yeah. at the Green Bay Packers. Right. And I was second to all these guys. And and they said, we, we want to, you're going to get playing time as a freshman. And I said, oh, wait till they find out how talentless I am. <laughs> what, a, what an old lady I am. And, and eventually the confidence just, I got knocked on my ass a few times. The confidence went away immediately. It was, it was a house of cards. Wow. It was, it was all based on, on some, some talent in high school. And I, I immediately was just, I was in the, if it wasn't for the therapist, I would have either dropped out of school or, or worse, yeah. worse. And, and I, there were points, and I don't know if you ever felt this, where I would have rather killed myself than admit that I was a, a failure as an athlete or, or that, that I couldn't cope, that, that, that those were the stakes. And, and nobody could have talked me out of it. Well, it's interesting because in your special, you also talk about the time we all grew up in mm -hmm. and how different it was and how we didn't, I hadn't really heard of dep or what depression was, you know, even at 20 or whatnot. I, I was still trying to figure out what was wrong with me, but we grew up in a time, thankfully for people like you, we've been enlightened a lot of way. We've got a lot of ways, long way to go, but you talk about in your special, the time we grew up in and masculinity and, and the narrow view of it and whatnot. Talk about that a little bit, because we grew up in a weird masculine time. Now kids are, are comfortable opening up about their sexuality, their gender. And I was not comfortable amongst my male athlete friends drinking Sprite. <laughs> I was convinced that if I they found out I was a Sprite drinker, I would I would pay for it the rest of the, the season. So there there was there were no like like Mark Ruffalo or Paul Rudds. There were there were there were no guys who weren't Clint Eastwood or 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 Bruce Willis or or the Terminator. You had to be Schwarzenegger or you were Richard Simmons. There was nothing in between. It was. It was just so hard. And so, of course, we hid any of our our softness and our self-doubt because we were we were raised by it. At the time, I despised Bob Knight's uh, philosophy. And and yet that was the reigning approach to coaching men, which was to be cruel and and uh, insensitive. And, and it just. And they they say that, well, look what he was able to do. But imagine what he was, would have been able to do if he if he had been a, a, a kinder, more thoughtful person. I, I really believe that that it was incidental, the, the championships. I, I, I think the, the real approach was that 
was the the maybe the defense and and also that he was able to recruit great players. But I I I, I don't believe in that philosophy. I don't I don't think it's any better than what what men and women are using now to coach their players. It's so funny you say that. I just realized as you're saying that, I'm like, God damn, Bobby Knight, even as a kid, when I'd see him, I, I had anxiety. Yeah. Yes. Oh God! He's, uh, oh, uh, he could, he's gonna see me through the TV and say you're a pussy. <laughs> I mean, he gave me so much anxiety because, but that was this, that was the standard bearer of what a coach was. That's what it was, and you needed discipline. And he just get in your face. I didn't go play better when coaches did that. Oh. I played better when he's like, "Hey, let's go. You got to do this." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, I'm still good." If he was like, "What the fuck?" I'd be like, "I'm gonna go yeah. in the locker room." Yeah, I mean, I had the basketball coach who literally, season on the brink, sophomore year, he was reading season on the brink in hardcover, which was, <laughs> which was way way ahead of, of, of most working class people to be able to afford the books in hardcover or not get them at the library. He was reading it and quoting from it at us, yelling things that Knight was yelling at, at his players and i remember thinking this is not why knight wins he's also a great teacher of basketball and defense the coach never taught me i learned on my own how to keep my elbow in how to follow through where the stance came from passing he only taught me how to be afraid of him which isn't that's not that's not teaching that's not coaching and and there was an entire generation of horrible coaches like this who who were who just damaged us and also the thing that I can't forgive my high school basketball coach was that he made me hate doing this thing dread going to practice a thing that I loved and played for hours and shoveled out basketball courts and and played it in in thunderstorms until my fingers were bleeding and and I dreaded going to practice and and I could have been the, the most loyal, productive player. And and I turned to football because the football coach was such a thoughtful, kind man. Wow. That's the thing that that when I when I think back on on football coaches, they they have a bad rap for being Bob Knights, for being cruel. Right. And I, I remember my freshman year of college, I was I was going home every weekend because I couldn't make friends. At, at college. So I'd go home to my high school friends and, and my family. And one of the coaches, this guy, Bobby Wilder and, and Barry Gallup was the tight ends coach. He, they sat me down and they said, I, I know you want to go home and I know you're homesick. You need to stay for the weekend, please. You'll, you'll meet people. And I, and I remember thinking this was, was so kind and so thoughtful and I was embarrassed that they had to take the time because I wasn't a productive player. I was a, I was a red shirt freshman and I'll, I'll never forget the, the warmth I felt from these guys who are, who are known as, as, as being drill sergeants, but they're, they're, they're not the good, the good coaches really care about their, their players. And I, I, I hope that's, that's still in, in vogue. Bob Knight, Bob Knight recruited me. Uh, I, I knew my dad was kind of Bob Knight light, uh, maybe more toward full Bob Knight. <laughs> but uh, yeah. he, I knew I couldn't play for that. 
I, I knew it. And but it was a regional thing. So I had Indiana in my like top seven or eight. I had to narrow it to five schools to visit. And I, you know, back in those days, you we I think we, you know, called up the local newspaper and said, here are my five schools. And now this is going to run in the paper tomorrow. Right. And so but Coach Knight called me that evening and he's like, hey, we need to need to set up an in-school or a a on-campus visit. You know, and I said, Coach, I I just gave my uh, list to the newspaper tomorrow and I, I you guys weren't in the top. And right at that point, he hung up. (laughs) Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, Rex, that's one of the greatest Bob Knight stories I've ever heard in, in my life. You could have gone along and gone for the visit and you just could have kicked it down the road and you did it over the phone. And I just I admire that because I'll tell you what, when these men would call me, I wanted to do the hardest thing was telling them, no. And they came to my house and my mother cleaned up and made snacks. And it was just, it was, it was so important for me, for me to be appreciated by men of that caliber and that character that to disappoint them, to say no. I mean, I could have told them there was part of me in those meetings where I was like, oh, if you ever saw my bedroom with all the stuffed animals (laughs) and the, the books I read you would really, you would walk out immediately. You would do the equivalent of hanging up on, on, on me. And, but I was, I was just, I was 6'6", 255, and I, I was fast. And so they saw something outside that was just not in me. And, and I just, I, I wish I could have said, oh, guys, I am going to disappoint you. <laughs> and, and this is, this is I, I my heart breaks for you guys because you're so earnest and and this is but but here's the other thing that was my depression telling me that I wasn't worthy of this and I I think I was as as athletic as any one of these people and and had I had the confidence I and and also the treatment I needed I I think I could have at the very least, I wouldn't have beaten myself up for not yeah. being what these guys wanted. And, and that's the component of depression that, that people don't recognize is how much you pay twice for being depressed. You feel lousy and then you beat yourself up for feeling lousy. And, and that's the part that, that is, is, is so hard to separate. I was thinking about this, and I don't know if I've ever told you this, but this was, a, you know, talking about it, too, I think helps keep us honest. I, you know, I certainly don't want to, you know, have a bout where I'm MIA for two weeks and that can happen fast if I let, let myself, but yeah. the sweetest thing I was, uh, I was in Lexington. This has been a couple years ago and I was in my head. I, you know, having one of those days, I wanted to go work out. I, you know, I, if somebody wanted that, that was my biggest fear that day was like, I just want to get into where I'm going. And I got in and there's a kid. And when I say kid, he was 18 or 19 behind the, the, the desk at the gym. And as I'm walking through, he like tried to get my attention and it wasn't a real great effort by him. And 
I just like kept on walking. Like, I don't want to, like, I didn't, I wasn't mean, but I certainly was cold. Right. And I went in and I got my swim in and I, and now I feel like a normal human being. I've swam and, and I've exercised and I'm walking back out and he grabs me again and I go, Hey, how are you? And he goes, Hey, you're Rex Chapman. I said, yes, I am. He said, and he started to tear up and said, you spoke three years ago at a thing. And my dad hasn't drank it in three years and he's never been better. And I just wanted to think that's what he wanted to tell me. And I wanted to, I hugged him and I wanted to just slink away. Just like, what am I doing? You brat. Let's take the time to say something to somebody when they want to say something to you. Right. I mean, a couple of things are going on there. One is yeah. that, that, our 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 chemistry is improved dramatically by exercising especially swimming i mean swimming is is the is the secret my my psychiatrist richard friedman is actually an avid swimmer and is is writing a book about the the mental effects of of swimming but the other thing that i never because I was so tired and exhausted all the time from from just getting out of the house, and it's a it's a it's a Mark Twain quote from over a hundred years ago. If you want to cheer yourself up, cheer somebody else up. And I never thought I would have the energy to pursue that angle, but it is it is so true. So many times where I've been feeling lousy, I'll say, you know what, I'm going to reach out to. A, I, I used to, when Conan O'Brien was on the air, I had a, a, a person who would book me to do comedy appearances and I, I did several and it was really fun. But what really gave me a, a charge and could take me out of the, the doldrums was getting a friend of mine or a younger comedian on the show and, and setting that up because it, it got somebody else to feel what I felt the first time I did a stand-up show and and it, it, it was really the answer. So when you passed by that kid, you didn't know that you were going to be able to cheer somebody else up. And it's so easy in our, our position to make someone's day. Yeah. And, and they, don't, they, don't, they usually don't want very much. And, and they're, they're thrilled when I, when I take a picture or the, or the hug or, or just that you're, you're, you're not alone just saying that and and listening to their story and and they're they're more anxious than we are and and it's it's just so helpful and it, and it's and it's a, and it's a secret to and and I'm sure it has something to do with our evolution that this human community and connection increases our dopamine and our serotonin in our 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 brains. There's a there's a reason for it. It probably has something to do with survival that I would I would I would read about if I could if I could comprehend any science. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you say it because I often wonder because our evolution it stayed with us. It, it, we haven't bred it out. Depression. It's not that usually means there's some benefit to society in some way for this character trait to live on. Um, so do you think there's something to it that that society can use the opposite or, or whatever? Or do you think that we're missing something that we initially like fight or flight, you know, that we grew up? I mean, we evolved with 
that we are missing now. So, so our brains are preconditioned and wired to always up, run from that and do that. Yeah. And we're not doing it. Do you think that is part of why we have this affliction? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, I was going to, to bring that up because there are things that we've gone past in our evolution that are still there. So the, so the, the uh, appendix, we don't need the appendix. We also don't need this thing where we think every single interaction or, or every single performance is, is a, a test of our, our worth and, and our sustainability. And, and that brings about the, the panic attacks and the anxiety and the the depression where we where we think oh we can't survive we're going to shut everything down and and just survive we're not going to to thrive and and so that's that's the bad part of the evolution is that we we needed that at some point we don't we don't need it now for the for the most part and and a, a thing that i always stress to people especially from our generation is that we were taught to white knuckle it fight through it. And, and that's how you get stronger. But in reality, you're damaging your brain. You're damaging your, your, um, the, the gland that, that is spouting all that adrenaline and the, the cortisol. These are things that are really bad for our, our systems. So you should, you should meditate or take medicine or see your therapist. You do not have to tough it out and fight it out because you're making it last longer and you're making it even more likely that you will take longer to get out of it or that you may not get out of it. I, I believe that you can get out of these situations eventually, but you're 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 strengthening this thing. And and my my psychiatrist says that all the time because I I I sometimes for for panic I will take a, a half of a clonopin and I will say, no, I'll just, I'll tough it out. But if my breathing technique and some meditation doesn't work, I take that half a clonopin and, and I don't feel guilty about it. My psychiatrist said, you're doing more harm than good by trying to white knuckle it. Just having anxiety and social anxiety, uh, I have a, a big problem with, you know, sometimes you're on, sometimes you're not. But I always say like, I, I hate red carpets yes. doing, you know, it's just, but the difference between my first interview on the red carpet and then as I go through it to my last, I want to go back yeah. and be able to talk because I'm like, ah, mm, yes. And by the end, after yeah. talking to 14 outlets, you're like, yeah, yeah, what's up? You seem like a cool guy. But it's like, can we have a warm up so before that? But it's all it's all reps, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's, and, and, and I'll tell you what, the misses, the misses help, too. You, you, you refocus and the ones where I really did badly, I learned from. And it used to be that they would crush me and I would want to quit the entire thing. But now I say, you know what? You weren't prepared. That's usually the case. I wasn't prepared or I, I was tired or I, I hadn't eaten or a number of other things. But, but mostly it's, it's just... I, I I came across this thing at the right time in my life when I really needed it because my mood was dependent on my last performance and it, and growing mm -hmm. up it was always dependent on my last game. Box score. Mm -hmm. If we won and I played well, I felt great. 
If we lost, I felt terrible. If we won and I played poorly, I felt terrible. So th there were there were very few instances where I felt very good about myself. And I read this thing and it was by the, the playwright uh, Samuel Beckett. And I tried reading Waiting for Godot a dozen times. I can't get through three pages. But he had this, this thing where he says, uh, ever tried, ever failed, no matter try again, fail again, fail better. And fail better became my mantra that I, that I didn't have to be perfect. I could, I could screw up. I could bomb. And next time I would do better, I would learn something from it. And it, and it, I, I, the audience had a complete control over how I felt about myself the next day. And it, it's too much. And, and in basketball, the rim and the refs, had control over how I felt about myself until the next game. And, and that's no way to go through life. You need some control or, or you will wind up in the, in the fetal position. Like I did so many times. How do you handle those times? Cause it kills me. I know everyone a little bit, but like, I call them like right before you go to sleep or in a shower, I'm always like doing so all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Remember that thing you did when you were 14? What a dumb fuck. You're terrible. You're a terrible person. I hate myself. Like stuff, it's irreverent. It means nothing. But it, those are the times it comes back to me. And I'm just like, I, I'm, I'm terrible. How do you deal with that? How can I do better? When you are in your right mind, you have perspective on these things. So this, mm. is, a, this is a great example because when I, when I was in a full-on crisis. There wasn't a moment I was awake when I wasn't contemplating suicide. So I mostly tried to sleep. But I remember spending an hour with a therapist about having been mean to this girl when I was eight years old. And for an hour, I kept... And it was a reason why I shouldn't live anymore. This thing I had done. And he said, I, I, I know you feel terrible. Here's the thing. You're trying to rewire your house while it's on fire. And as I look back on it now, I still feel bad about that. I still regret it. Mm -hmm. But I realized I was eight years old. And in my right mind, I have that perspective to say, eight-year-old boys are cruel. You grew out of that. You, you have the human responses guilt and, and regret, but you cannot beat yourself up. And almost as if, and I, I, I'm, I'm not an overly religious person. I believe in God. And, and I, I, I believe there's, there's something in the universe going on, but I hadn't spoken to that girl in 30 years. And she sent me a message out of nowhere as I was recovering, saying that she had seen a show and congratulating me and I realized from that message, she hadn't thought about it as much as I had. And, and it was such a it was such a lesson. It was almost eerie. And my my wife and I have this this uh, Mercury and retrograde idea where where we we have things in our past coming back on us. And and that was one of those moments. And and I'll I'll tell you what it 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 was. It was a real lesson. So when I have those things and they're they're frequently in the shower and I cringe and I say, "Oh, you asshole!" I I think about that moment one 
I was a different person. I've gone out of my way to make up for it again and again. I won't do it again. And, and two, the other person hopefully has not been considering it as, as much as I have. And it's, and it's very unlikely that they, that they have so that, but that's, I mean, that's just part of being a human who cares about, about people. So it's actually a, it's actually a, a good thing. A, a, a sociopath doesn't consider what they, <laughs> what they did 10 seconds ago. So for us to have that feeling and it's, and it's generally from about six years old to 18 where we're growing and we, we have these crazy ideas and, and, but here's the other thing. I have things that I wish I hadn't said that were two or four years ago. And yeah. I, I, I have to, I have to live with them and, and make amends when it's, when it's practical and, and won't, won't, won't make that person feel worse. Let's talk some basketball. Well, yeah. yeah. It's a, uh, let's talk. Uh, he's got Rex Chapman here. And we've just been peppering him with depression. Let's give him a chance to live, to live this. I, I, I want to know, uh, Who's winning it all? I believe it's going to be Boston and Golden State. You're a homer. You're you think homer. all the other teams will be depressed then? <laughs> <laughs> I'll just keep taking it back. I think it's going to be Boston and Golden State. I wouldn't mind a, a rematch of the 1976 NBA championships with Phoenix and in Boston. I just I've never I say this every year. So so I always say this is my favorite Celtics team of all time, but I've been saying this ever since 1981. But here, here, I have a question that I, I was meaning to ask Bill Walton. I, I, I did a show that Bill Walton was in another room signing basketballs for a corporation or a retreat or something like that. And I got to meet him for a moment and I, and I, I just, I fawned over him and I was, I was so obnoxious and I just, and I, but I didn't ask this question that I that I've been wanting to ask somebody who's been around Del Curry and Steph Curry, <laughs> and and it's this, and also has seen a lot of shooters. Have you ever seen anyone shoot this far from this far and this accurately in 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 your days as a as a as a basketball player? No, of course not. Uh, you know, the, but those, uh, honest to goodness, the very first time I stepped on the, well, Stefan was born my rookie year. Right. And Dell and Sonia lived two doors down. And so Stefan was my little buddy from an early age. But Dell was the best shooter I'd ever seen. When, when I stepped in. That's in, what I heard. Yeah. And, you know, this was. This was humbling, but it was it was obvious. Like I'd never been on a team where I probably wasn't the best shooter. And like my first practice or two, being on the floor with Kelly Trapuca and Del Curry and Robert Reed and these veteran guys, those guys could shoot. I could get hot, you know, and that kind of remained that way. But Dell, his touch, his big hands, which Stefan has, which of course Seth has also, the thing that I'm most blown away by is that he does it off the dribble yes that he's 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 an elite three-point shooter off of the dribble which is and that tells you too he has such great and i jumped too high on my shot you know i to be able to do that it, it just didn't work that way his his center of gravity 
and balance. He's got perfect balance to be able to, no matter how he's coming off, be able to square and get it off quickly. But that he can do that off the dribble blows me away. It's so impressive. And I have this, this analogy, and, and you've walked right into it with Del Curry and Steph. I feel in terms of three-point shooting that Del Curry is the Old Testament God <laughs> and uh, who is popular amongst mostly middle-aged Jews. And then there's Steph Curry is, is Jesus who changed the game and and went global and and so i i have had this theory nobody else would get it because only a few of us remember how great del curry was but i i was able to walk right into the, yeah. the perfect audience for this i mean i was always a fan of the pure shooters who really they were it, when we were growing up they were put in there to open up the lane for the big man <laughs> and to, to keep people from doubling down on the guy they were trying to get the ball to and i just i hear so many old men complain about the game and for me it's never for a person who loves watching people make long shots and everything that goes into that because it's 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 what magic really is it's we know there's no real magic it's the amount of time you have to put into the trick and the illusion that's the magic and that's how i feel about about basketball shooting when i when i go to the court and i shoot from nba 3 range it it is uh, every single component of the of the form is is so you can get away in the yeah. mid range game with with having a quirk a, a hitch in your shot but from 24 feet that it it has to be so pure. So I I kind of miss those guys from when we were growing up. The the world be freeze and the John Mall Wilkes with the bizarre styles, yep. the Purvis shorts. But what what they do now? I mean, Kevin Durant's form is like a metronome, and and Steph and Kyrie. I mean, it's it's. I'm I'm just in awe all the time, and and I don't think people recognize and and also they say nobody plays defense which they've been saying since the 70s yeah they're playing defense harder and closing out better than i've ever seen in my life yeah yeah i mean we could hold and grab if you can't you can't guard anybody and the other part about that is like we talk about it all the time i remember being a kid and like one of the first recruiting classes i remember was like ralph sampson and and Sam Bowie, yeah. right? Yeah. Do you remember those guys could play like they play today, but they wouldn't let them play that way. No, they would not let them play that way. Now that everybody can play facing the basket and shoot threes, you're telling me today Charles Barkley wouldn't be shooting threes? He'd be shooting threes. The other thing that just blows me away about, and it should make sense, we all see the Bob Cousy dribbling around in a circle with his right hand. Right. He yeah. never, it almost never touches his left hand. If I scored 10,000 points in the NBA, 9,900 of them were with my right hand. You know, I wasn't going in, jumping off my right foot and flinging up a left handed hook off the backboard, which they all can do today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, what yes. they can do with both hands, the, you know, the passing. If I was going to dribble left baseline, if I had to make the pass to the corner, 
I would cross body it and throw it with my right hand. I wasn't picking it up off the dribble and throwing it with my left hand. Everybody can do that today. Yes, it's, I love it when I when I mean, most of the color commentators are, are former players and they'll, they'll stress it. The, the teardrops and the runners, they'll say, you have no idea how difficult that is. And but also just the 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 using the rim as a protector and coming out on the other side with the left or, or right hand, they do it so easily. I would practice that and go eight for 10 with nobody there to guard me. Yeah. It, it was, yeah, it was just extraordinary in there. And when you bring up Ralph Sampson, I mean, I, I swoon because we got glimpses mm-hmm. of the future in Ralph Sampson at Virginia freshman, sophomore yep. year. And then they made him play a low post game. But this was, this was a guy with a, with a beautiful handle. And that's, that's the other thing. I go to the courts. I live in, I live in Harlem and I go to the courts and I'm playing defense against these teenagers and their handle, I come home, my hips and my knees are so sore from, because they, I, I mean. That has nothing to do with their handle, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to pop that bubble. <laughs> Rex, Rex has this one story he always forgets to tell at the perfect times, and I like to tell it anyway, okay. because he and Steph, I mean, he and Dell and Muggsy all lived in the same yeah, apartment complex. Apartment complex when they were, were playing together. And he says that they'd get in the car to go someplace and hang out. And he'd be like, We thought we were big shit NBA players. And it turns out the best player was strapped into a seat in the car. <laughs> And, and 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 it wasn't Muggsy in the car seat. It was Stefan. Oh, the thing I did you ever read the the boys of Dunbar? No. Oh man, you will love it. It's 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 about the a, high school Dunbar team. Yeah, it's about the the Muggsy Reggie Williams Reggie Lewis oh, yeah. team. But what's so clear in that book and those I just named three of the best basketball players in, in history, certainly in high school basketball yeah. history. Muggsy was better than all of them, all of them, it, which just and and I, I mean, you, you talk about a, a, an inspiration and, and also, by all accounts, just a, a, a terrific human oh, being. I mean, yeah. Friend, yeah, of show, it's, friend of the show. I was just yeah. with Muggsy. I was just with Muggsy a few weeks ago, and it's exactly that. And I said that in our, you know, we were talking about the old, the original Hornets team, and you know, I came in, and and Dell came in, Curry, and yeah. then you know, a year or two later, J.R. Reed, and then Kendall Gill, and Larry Johnson, and Alonzo Mourning. You know, they were looking for a star, like for years and years. Muggsy was the only star. I mean, he was the yeah. biggest star. If yeah. you go, I mean, he can go anywhere, really anywhere in the country, but he's, he's just one of the, one of the best stories. And also Muggs wanted to go to Georgetown. You know, he was dying to go to Georgetown. His oh, I didn't boy, realize that. Boy were going there and he ends up going to Wake Forest, got his degree. He's helped his brother for the last 20 years. Uh, Chuck hasn't done any hard drugs in 20 years. Uh, but he's, uh, Muggsy's, uh, Muggsy's a good one. Yeah. He also, he was on the show and 
he missed his call. I mean, he was a great basketball player, but he was a really great. And could you imagine if he centered on the wrestler? Oh, yeah. Never lost a match. He wrestled all the way through to eighth grade and never lost a match. And I, that body? I saw him. I tell this often, but J.R. Reed was constantly playing around. And we're in the locker room one day after practice and get out of the shower. And J.R. Reed pops Muggsy with a towel. And Bugsy'd had enough of it and turned around and they're both naked in the, <laughs> and squaring off. Dell and I are sitting there at our, and this has been going on for, you know, a while with the, oh, you could wrestle and stuff like that. Yeah. Before we knew it, Muggsy was back behind JR, picked him up and dumped him on his head. Wow. Six nine two sixty. That's the best Muggsy Bogue story. But Muggsy's center of, of gravity. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> just and five, five, three, and his thighs are that big around. You know, yeah, just he could have uh, been Dan Gable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No question. Yeah. No wow. question. Um, Gary, what's your favorite movie? I would say my favorite movie is is Goodfellas. I, okay. I've I've watched it more than every other movie, but I mean, it can be a a bummer. So I I would say Rocky. I okay. I, I saw it in the theaters with my older brother when I when I was a five years old. And, and so that movie really makes me happy. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. What about if you could uh, have dinner with anyone in history, you know, anyone alive or dead, you could sit down and break bread with who, who would that be? That's a tough question. It's a really tough question, but I would have to say Kurt Vonnegut. He's my, okay. First he's my favorite. Yeah. He's my favorite author. I've read everything he's written at least three times, wow. but Here's the here's the thing. I just started reading probably five years ago, Toni Morrison. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've I've read at least a book from everyone who is considered our greatest American author. And I think she blows all of them away. Wow. I'm in awe. The thing is, is that I if I met with Kurt Vonnegut, I have more questions. So I, I think I, I love how I'm taking this so seriously. <laughs> that was what we were doing yeah yeah we like well, it well done and then and then, and then same basic question front row centered any band singer entertainer uh dead or alive i would have to say pink floyd during during the wall i was always too young too afraid and too poor to go to any any great concert so i i feel so like this summer i'm going to see rage against the machine and it's like I, yeah it's tough to rage at 52 i'll be 52 <laughs> when, I, when i see them the, the only thing i'm counting on is that there'll be a whole section of us <laughs> people, people my age i'm 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 sure they're as as ragers against the machine they have to deal with their with their mortality as well, but I, I yeah, I, I can't wait for that. So this is the closest I can get to seeing the wall. Fantastic. Yeah, that's fantastic. Good. Gary, can't thank you enough, buddy. Got to come back and do this again. I, I hope that my my enthusiasm came through. I, I can't tell you, I was, I was explaining to my wife who's younger and, and didn't get Street and Smith's. <laughs> <laughs> how significant this is for me and and so i was she understood so i i hope you guys understood how much this meant to me and i i just uh hopefully we'll be able to to if you're ever in new york city i'd i'd love to uh even if it's just for a for a 
a few minutes to uh, to uh, have a, a a very masculine hug <laughs> with 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 a lot of punches in the stomach to to make it clear that that we are men. Maybe and maybe a sprite. <laughs> no ice. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks so much. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, I could I could have sat here for another two oh, hours. I, oh. I hated that we had to talk basketball at some point. I I loved it because you could tell that's what he wanted. Oh yeah, you know, he's sick of talking about <laughs> his special and whatnot. He just wanted to talk to Rex Chapman. How great! Was but that? I was just kept going. Uh, and also, I can um, I have several notes down here I couldn't even get to, and you got two pages of them. Over that there. was that was a lot of fun and unique to the show yeah. and we we talk about um mental health so much uh, it was great to i mean he's perfect comedian yeah. athlete yeah <laughs> and uh mental health enlightener i think there's i'm well we know just from going to therapy how many people struggle like this and how many people do the things that he talked about that we talk about if i can only get to do this if i do this then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. Then I'll be content. Mm -hmm. And it's just a big lie. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He, There's he, something going on. Yeah. And you got to take care of it. And to his point, we didn't, like in the 80s, I always go back to this one guy. Uh, remember Arch Schleister? Yeah, yeah. Big deal. Yeah. I mean, he was, when we were kids, 10, 12 years old, he was at Ohio State, mm -hmm. world by tail, you know, we all thought right yeah and you know he spent the better part of you know 30 years now in and out of uh correctional facilities been in and out of trouble gambling issues um what it would have been like it would have been so great for us if he like at 25 could have been telling his story yeah and to us or mm -hmm. to little kids yeah. or whatever and sharing his story it would have helped us yeah right for sure for sure. That's why I do. I encourage anyone who who's had depression and mental health issues, even, you know, slightly or mm -hmm. just understand it or empathetic to it, if not sympathetic, um, to watch that special. Yeah. It's HBO Max, and I'm sure you can watch it other places, but uh, The Big Depression, The Great Depression, Great Gary Bellman really, really <laughs> talks about it in a meaningful way, but it's funny yeah. somehow. That's the genius of what Art. those guys do. Yeah. yeah, awesome. All right, well, that's episode 42 of the Rex Chapman Show with super dope Josh Hopkins from the L-Town. And join us here next week for episode 43, powered by basketballnews.com.